Welcome, damned listener, and join me on a trip to the pod side. Behind the dark curtain and decrepit fourth wall of Speak All Evil. This episode is a house of deceits and betrayal. Kevin has been led to believe that his co-hosts are unwell, sick, crawling with infectious disease. They are not. In fact, as Kevin dangles perilously and helplessly at the other end of a speakerphone, they are all quite healthy and happy. What you are about to hear is a lie. Really sorry you couldn't be here, Kevin. While I li- while I listen to you guys, sound like you have the plague. <laughs> I went down the wrong tube. <laughs> so we'll do it in chronological order, starting with Piranha. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, like uh, I'm more nervous go. for this episode than anyone's when I'm actually there for you guys. It's weird. <coughs> no, we're fine. We're fine. Podcasting. Here we go. <clears throat> all right. Good. We're rolling. Good to go. <laughs> Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. We are deep down underground in the dragon's lair. I am the human Trentipede. I'm here with Cut and Grave. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hello. We are talking about movies that are so bad it's good. Um, so bad it's good is a pretty important subgenre in the uh, in the horror category. Um, it's not necessarily my personal wheelhouse all the time. Um, usually it means something that is campy, uh, goofy, silly, or just so low budget that your average film goer who is out to see the seasonal blockbuster would find it quote unquote bad or badly done. Um, I love some of the stuff. I'm not, again, I'm not the most familiar because I have fear of missing out syndrome uh, with movies. It's the only area that I have fear of missing out syndrome. Are you familiar with this? FOMO. FOMO, yeah. yeah. FOMO, yeah. I don't have it for anything else because I know I'm not missing anything most of the time, but. With movies, I'm always afraid if I watch something silly and campy, um, I'll be missing something that is more scary or disturbing that will really depress me for a day or two, which is what I'm looking for. So um, tonight we're talking about movies that are so bad they're good. And Kevin, you picked um, Piranha, 1978. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why this popped in. I think I think because this one, uh, the original Piranha in 1978 – they were trying to make a serious horror movie, and then it spawned uh, some remakes that are firmly entrenched in the so bad it's good category. Uh, but the original 1978 was directed by Joe Dante, who we know from Gremlins, Gremlins 2, The Howling, The Burbs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, this movie came out with a whopping $700,000 budget and made $16 million at the box office. Um, and, and my favorite thing about this movie is it was 78, Jaws came out in 75, a slew of movies just showing how iconic and influential Jaws was, came out trying to rip off Jaws. So when Piranha came out, Universal Studios actually was trying to get an injunction to stop this movie from coming out. But Steven Spielberg went to them and to the press and said, hey, I like this movie. It's the best of the Jaws ripoffs. And so Universal kind of dropped the case and let it out. Um, it's a pretty simple concept. It's uh, a bunch of piranhas that kill people. I think it's cool that, um, you know, we, we talk about the, the indie horror we did last week that you see that people found like, oh, wow, these guys are making Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They're making Halloween. They're making Night of the Living Dead on these shoestring budgets. That spawned a lot of these movies like everyone and their brother that had a camera was like, oh, we can make a movie. This, I, I was thinking of that same thing, Dave, like, you know, movies like Jaws or this kind of even reminded me of like Bad Taste and another, another movie we'll talk about that we watched this week in like Basket Case where, um, you know, this one had a little bit more of a budget. But it, behind this one, you had Roger Corman, who's a legendary producer. Uh, he admitted that it was influenced by Jaws. I mean, uh, Roger had established himself 
Uh, but Corman is huge. I mean, he mentored so many filmmakers and actors like Francis Ford Coppola, Ron Howard, Scorsese, uh, and James Cameron. James Cameron's first movie he actually officially directed was, was the sequel to 1978's Piranha. And he wasn't even supposed to be the director. He was on the crew. The director dropped off. And that was how James Cameron got started. Uh, and Corman, you know, you can look him up. It, it, he's he's everywhere. He launched the careers of actors like Peter Fonda, Jack Nicholson, Dennis Hopper, Stallone, uh, Shatner. Um, so this was kind of an indie film, but it had some pretty heavy players behind it. And and I'm not sure if it was necessarily be for the quality of the film as much as it was, yo, Jaws was huge. We can make some loot right now. Uh, speaking of Jaws, I really appreciated the uh, the Easter egg and it's an important part of the horror, the genre horror that we haven't really talked about. Um, it's, I mean, it might not be as prevalent today, but people that really know what they're doing, I feel like still observe the, um, the rule that you're supposed to have an Easter egg in your movie about a, a, a previous horror movie that references. And I noticed in, uh, in Piranha, there's a scene where they're playing the Jaws video game. Mm -hmm which I thought was really cool and definitely counts as the Easter egg. But I was glad you picked this because I actually had never seen it, it which is weird because uh, growing up, I was always uh, very afraid of piranhas. Even though I lived in Maine, <laughs> piranhas sort of like were in the same category as lava or quicksand. <laughs> like, of all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, like you'd be out in the woods. I don't. There, I know that quicksand is only you know in South America or something. It's not around here. There's no piranhas, but I don't know for sure. Any given body of water, I'm on the lookout for piranhas, so mm -hmm. um, I appreciated it. I was afraid of sharks in pools. Yeah, I, I really related to the child that didn't want to go in the lake because of the uh, sharks that could lurk underneath. I have a very specific memory of when I was taking swimming lessons at the Y. I was in the minnow group. Um, <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't that good at swimming, but I kicked my little baby leg so hard with my little boogie board in the deep end because I was absolutely convinced that a shark was going to come up and grab me and just take me down. <laughs> At the Y. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I did love this movie. I had never seen it. Um, the original. I think I loved it so much because it was an absolute Jaws ripoff, but it was a campy, fun Jaws ripoff. Um, I actually made a list of all the similarities between the two. Wow. Obviously. Do tell. Yeah, I will. Um, obviously, uh, the, the Jaws themed video game before they even showed jaws at the top when she was playing like the shooting shark, I was like, Oh, that's just like in jaws when they're playing like that shoot shark game. Then they scroll up and it says Jaws. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of a cop out, but like, I appreciate it. Um, but you got dead kids floating on rafts that get eaten by the things, you know, whether it's shark or piranha. Um, you got the sleazy, evil, bigwig mayor type guy at that like big old water event, not the 4th of July, but like the camp out or whatever for the resort. Um, and then you got, uh, skinny dipping hot people that get eaten right off the bat boobs right off the bat you always mm. want boobs yep, right off do. the bat you do it's like they lure death yeah i mean sight of nipples just brings death <laughs> the grim reaper like story of my life um and then just the cover of piranha is literally <laughs> the piranha and the person swimming on top of the the break of the water and that's exactly what jaws had so I appreciated it for what it was. I had never seen Piranha. Um, I liked it. I actually, I, I kind of agree with Kevin that I, I felt like you were going towards saying that it didn't know that it was campy. Like they were trying to make a serious movie. I kind of got that feeling like they were trying to make a serious movie on a low budget and it turned out to be hilarious. Like the, one of my favorite parts about it was every time there's an explosion like when two boats collide or they the explosion happens before the impact on like everything <laughs> dude dude I, like literally in my notes the the boat explosion is the epitome of so bad is good it is unbelievable to watch i rewound it so many times and just laughed he's like almost there and it explodes <laughs> i had i had in my notes i had great boat stunt <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I th- I thought it was leaning into its campiness. I thought that it was embracing. I didn't get at all that it was trying to not be campy. Like in the first like two minutes, they make a fish pun. Who made the fish pun? Gil. <laughs> Um, I want to. I think before we go any further on this, though, we should establish uh, a couple things um, linguistically. Is piranha plural of piranha? I think that a piranha is the same as many piranha. So it's like deer. Yeah, um, and I, and that came to my attention because I noticed one thing they did in the movie that was pretty funny is that everybody pronounced it differently. Like, I, you know, I say piranha. I'm from Maine. I'm obviously have, don't have a lot of experience, even though I'm always on the lookout. Um, the scientist who was, I don't know if she was Eastern European or something, the scientist pronounced it piranha. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Piranha. That was, that was serious. And then yeah. the, the sheriff, the podunk backwater uh, inept, because all of these movies feature very inept cops and sheriffs. The sheriff pronounced it piranha. <laughs> I really like that. That's my piranha. favorite one. Well, you got some piranha in there, boy. You need to worry about piranha. Yeah, it's funny about the '70s and the '80s is the inept cops. They're always bumbling idiots. They can't get anything done. They can't solve any crimes. Now we're watching like Netflix and we're seeing all these true crime documentaries coming out. And it turns out that all the cops from the '70s and '80s were bumbling idiots and they couldn't solve any crimes. The views expressed on this recording are solely those of the artists, and by no means do we encourage or condone violence against law officials. Uh, it's for you. It's for you. One, two, three, fuck the Yeah, fuck them. Yeah, it's, it, I, I kind of like that. Um, I kind of appreciate the message is that the cops in all of these this era of horror movies, the cops are not going to save you. They are no refuge. They are going to fall asleep at the posts. They're going to be like in the squad car looking at porn. They're going to miss the killer walking right by them. If they do stumble into the case, they're going to mess it up. They might make things worse. They're going to get killed. You're, you're really on your own. There's no authority. It's always the curmudgeon, alcoholic, grizzled man that like is a loner. He's always the one that saves the day. I will say... Jaws might be the only exception, because Chief Brody really took it into his own hands, went out on that boat. He did. Really got down to business. He did. He might have been the last, that was what, 75? Mm -hmm. He might have been the last um, competent cop until like sometime in the 90s. Yeah. I mean, there were, you know, Jaws 2 and 3, so he wasn't that competent in getting rid of the shark. True. (laughs) So It it is interesting, like, because we keep talking about on the show, like, the tropes, and you look at like the the modern horror, like especially Scream, and some of these other movies. Yeah, I'm thinking of like Dewey from Scream. I mean, as horror movies progress, the cops just get dumber and dumber and dumber. Like they're playing up to this. There, there is. If you're a huge uh, true crime buff, there is definitely an element of the the 60s and 70s and probably early 80s where the police were not very competent at handling some of this stuff. I mean actual crime not you know mutant piranhas but you know you look at over time if you follow horror movies i mean they just keep amping it up to make these cops look dumber and dumber and if there is a good cop it's usually like he's retired and like someone's trying to drag him back in (laughs) i appreciated that they weren't afraid in this movie um they weren't afraid to let the little kids get bit you know, they're out there on the floors and stuff, and they're getting bit by yeah. the uh, piranhas. No problem there. And I, I really loved the um, the line, almost like the, I, I would say it's the, uh, we're going to need a bigger boat of this, <laughs> of piranha, is they're eating the guests, sir. <laughs> that really stuck with me. Yeah, what is it? What is it? He's like on the phone, like, why are you bothering me? They're eating the guests, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one of my notes. I was like, are they going to kill all these kids? In like the next 10 minutes? In, in all these movies, it's always like there's something terribly wrong, but people are in denial that it's happening and they don't want to like stop it and do <coughs> what they're supposed to do to be responsible. 
to stop well, you know what's going on everyone's just thinking that everything's going to be okay I don't want to give away uh, the ending because we're trying to get away even though these movies are in some cases 30 years old uh, I loved the ending I thought it was really cool I don't want to uh, spoil it yeah um, did anyone watch the 2010 um, I, I call him Al Al Aja did anybody watch the 2010 Al Aja Piranha remake no I started a long time ago and I remember turning it off was this the double D? No, that's the sequel <laughs> to the remake. D. It was oh, okay. originally 3D, and then the, the sequel to that is called Piranha 3 Double D. Nice. Um, I thought that it was good. Um, it was definitely worth the end, the epic. That was among the, the, the grandest scenes of human carnage I've ever seen when the it's a massive spring break, and it's just like naked college kids by the hundreds getting totally um, torn apart by the piranhas to to a level that was really absurdist. Someone should have sent some piranhas down to uh, Florida this week with all those spring breakers Uh, during this fucking pandemic. I'm in the thick of it. This young girl had to be carried off by her friends. Let me ask you a serious question. Are you worried at all for your safety? I am worried about my safety. We don't take drinks from other guys. Anybody, we all have to stay together. I've, I've had a friend and I've had to grab them and uh, uh, be like, hey, man, like, you know, we can't be that dumb. No, 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 no. The next movie we watched, Basket Case 1982, directed by Frank Henenlotter. This was my pick. Um, Basket Case was a formative influence on me. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies. And when I say favorite movies, I don't mean like Dawn of the Dead or... The Texas Chainsaw, or Evil Dead, or Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, when I say Basket Case is one of my favorite movies, I'm talking about Apocalypse Now. I'm talking about 2001. <laughs> I'm talking about Citizen Kane. Um, as yeah. a matter of fact, there's three Basket Case movies, and I've told I told everyone earlier I consider the three Basket Case movies to be the Godfather trilogy of formerly co-joined uh, twins one of which is a hideous mutant the seeking revenge horror movies. Um, I have a lot to say about this one. I just want to, before um, we get going, the interesting thing to me is that um, the film has been preserved by the Museum of Modern Art yeah. <laughs> that surprised me in too. New York. Be- because it's MoMA. such a, it, I think because it's such a New York film, yeah. it's sort of like if it wasn't the part of the Godfather trilogy of uh, conjoined twins, uh, one of which is hideously deformed, um, it would be sort of a taxi driver you know, right down to the sleazy hotel and all this stuff. So I, I shout out uh, Museum of Modern Art for preserving Basket Case. Um, Kat, I assume this is the first time you've seen Basket Case. I was wondering what you thought of it. I didn't hate it. Ah. I thought it was <laughs> it was a lot. I will say that. Um, the guy, the conjoined twin, looked like a fleshy slimer. Like from Ghostbusters, I thought. Mm, you know, he's got that yeah. thing going on. Um, there was a plot, which I appreciated. I thought the the, the storyline was very good. Um, the special effects were funny. I thought every time that that basket shook, like from obviously like someone behind it or like underneath, and I thought that was like a funny... I would consider this more of a horror comedy. What, do you, what did you guys think? You don't think it's very comedic? No, I, I thought it was funny. Um... I could have gone without the the claymation. Oh, oh, this the. the <laughs> yeah, I loved that. I loved that. No, yeah, I, I liked it better when it was just like the, the hand stop reaching motion. up yeah. and like. Uh, I liked it best when he came out of the toilet and they <laughs> had that little talk. <laughs> that very serious brother to brother. He's yeah. like listen, twin to twin talk yeah. while he's coming. out. He's just in the toilet. Yeah. So I, I've had some. Um, some film buddies because the rest of my apartment is also you know self social distancing um so everyone has kind of been forced to watch these movies with me and my roommate uh said that he wishes he could watch basket case again for the first time because he loved it so much so i was in good company appreciating this piece of moma art in my living room. I remember when I was a kid, uh, like, you know, we talked about the VHS tapes that you look on the shelf and you're like, huh, what about this? And Basket Case was definitely one yes. of those. I remember loving it when I was a kid. Um, but again, these movies are so bad, it's good. 
So like anyone out there that's just basic Netflix browser, um, you know, you have to be into this sort of thing to watch this movie and to appreciate it. And once you do, I feel like it's a it's a huge. There's so many so bad it's good movies. Like we were talking about Wolf Cop. Um, <laughs> You know, there's a billion movies uh, like Zombievers. Yeah, once you get into it, once you have that threshold, every once in a while you'll be in the mood for a movie that's like brainless and amazing. And that's what that's what Basket Case was. Kevin, did you did you did you see this one early on when we were like renting videos from the gas station and like they had two copies of Basket Case? Yeah, yeah, no. This it's funny that you were talking. I'm not going to go as far as you know the Apocalypse Now comparison, but I have a very intimate relationship with this movie because yeah, I found it when I was super young and just loved it. Like I don't know, like when we started talking about So Bad Is Good, Basket Case came to mind immediately because. Yeah, I just, I, I honestly have like a youthful, emotional connection to this movie. I couldn't tell you why, but it's just one of those things that you find when you're a kid and if you're into horror, uh, it's it's perfect. And, and I think kind of like Piranha, it's funny that the first two movies that we're talking about, I think with Piranha... You know, like Basket Case, they were they were trying to make a serious horror movie. Like, they were into it. Um, so, you know, you think the movies like Sharknado or some of the movies that you guys were just talking about that are intentionally trying to be so bad that it comes off good. You know, I think I was kind of drawn to Basket Case, even like, like we talked about Bad Taste in some of these other movies. Like, th- there's like a passion behind it that I think comes through. But I would agree with Dave. You're not necessarily going to recognize that if you're a 4K HD horror movie watcher like of today. I do need to shout out to the the actor that played Dwayne Bradley, Kevin Van Hentenrick. I I hope I'm saying that right. Um, I do need to shout out and and give some, I don't know if it's condolences or to Kat, but, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, some, some full frontal in several episodes now. Um, and this week, I feel like we just filled these movies with Dong. I mean, there's the scene in Basket Case where that dude is just running down the street completely naked. And I have no idea why they made him do that. It was great. It was a dream. Yeah, I loved it. I love seeing Dong. It, it I don't was know a what dream. I'm. Although in Basket Case, it was more pubic hair than Dong. There was. That's the thing that happens. There. I mean, I don't consider like. Any girl from the seventies is never nude, oh. <laughs> you know. And, 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 and any dude with, I mean, even a remotely small penis in the seventies or eighties oh. is not nude because they have this giant bush that covers everything up. He's just running down the street. Um, he wasn't a manscaper. Oh. While we're on the topic of hair, I just want to say I can't remember the main character woman's name, but the receptionist, the receptionist at the doctor's office. That's racist. Her wig was just so bad. It was like she would like touch it and it would move like the hairline. I'm sorry, but like there's no budget for wigs. Like what was wrong with her original hair? Like why do you need this weird like shake and go wig that you've just thrown on with no glue or anything? It stressed me out a little bit. Yeah, dude, all, all all the women in this movie, I think were wearing wigs for the most part. It was really bizarre. Was Dwayne wearing a wig? Because he seemed like his hair was very wig-esque, personally. I think Dwayne's mullet was legit, and that's, you know, that that should also be preserved by some national archive. But <laughs> Yeah, he looked like he just came from, like, he was like the bass player Night Ranger. And then he just, <laughs> I also noticed looking up stuff about the movie that, um, like, a lot of these actors were in no other movies before or since. Yes. For the best, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, one of the things that I, I really could relate to this movie, because the, the point of the movie, and I, I don't know how well we're describing it, and we're not trying to um, to plot out the whole movie for you, but um, Dwayne Bradley and, and Belial are uh, formerly conjoined twins. They were born uh, conjoined, and Belial is a, a hideous mutant sticking out of his side, and they get separated um, and, and Belial gets thrown in the trash and Dwayne saves him and they spend um, the next several years of their life seeking revenge on the doctors. But um, I could really relate to um, 
that part of it because I have a uh, 10-pound rescue dog, and he's sort of like my Belial. You know, like <laughs> he would like to be attacked. He is right now. He's um, between my feet on the floor. I'm surprised he's not in my lap. Uh, he gets uh, his whole his whole life is wondering if I'm abandoning him, which is what Belial is doing the whole movie. Like Dwayne can't even go on a date. You know, Dwayne gets a, a number and goes on a first date, and Belial trashes the hotel room. He's so he's so consumed with the idea that his much uh, more normal and better looking brother is going to leave him behind for someone else. Now, that's and, a matter of opinion. Well, he's better looking. You, you, I mean, I, yeah, you pref- you you think Belial could get it? Yeah, I mean, I I, I prefer less bones. <laughs> <laughs> More, a little more pushing for the cushion with Belial, if no. you know what I mean. Um, but I, I did. I actually, you know, I thought this was really powerful. Like the screams of Belial, whoever did his screams yeah. when he thinks mm-hmm. that he's being abandoned and the only person in this world that cares about him, it might leave him, which is his is his constant. Um, this driving force in Belial's life is that Dwayne is going to leave him. Um, it, I thought it was really sad, and I really liked the questions about, uh, for Dwayne, sort of the, the constant question is, you know, when does his obligation to Belial and his, his connection to Belial, like, where does that end and where does his own life begin? Because he can't really have a normal life. Um, he can't fall in love. He can't date. He can't do anything. He can't even rent a hotel room because he's got his brother in a basket who's going to, like, kill everyone anytime, you know, he turns his back around. Um, very similar to my dog, Calvin. But uh, I thought that was really um, powerful. And, and I thought the end of the movie was really sad and, and really poignant. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was actually the end of the movie was very visually striking. Like when they're hanging off that neon sign, I thought mm-hmm. that was like really, a uh, really cool moment. And I was thinking, like, you know how they did all the Evil Dead's were super, super silly, and then they did that remake that was very serious and it was actually scary. I feel like someone could take this premise and make a remake that's actually scary yeah. um, and it's actually heart wrenching, even with mm-hmm. this, the brother relationship. We could do it. Let's do it. It's funny because, uh, so there's another horror podcast, uh, the Dead Meat Podcast, and they did an entire episode on Basket Case. They made a comment that uh, that Dwayne kind of looks like Harry Styles, so they thought it'd be amazing to get a Basket Case remake done with Harry Styles, and it would easily make at least like $500 million if Harry Styles had to recreate the running down the street scene. To end, when, when Belial goes to see Sharon, and he... And he is he's he's fucking her? He right. Did you notice that he's got blood all over no, the bottom he, of him? Did you notice when he's on her pelvis and he's rocking? Yeah. He's yeah. rocking back. He and literally <laughs> rapes. I didn't want to bring it up because I'm not trying to be that person to bring everything down. But he definitely rapes her to death. Right, because he didn't. Like he didn't, he didn't really do anything. I until, mean, you could argue that he strangled her. Yeah, it wasn't but long when enough. When there's blood, her whole all pelvic around area the pelvis, is. That was the only part that I absolutely was not 100% on board with. I kind of yeah. made a little note being like, oh, I don't know about that death scene. Because when, when Dwayne pulls him off of her, there's he's, like a. There's blood everywhere. Yeah. Like so sucking he sound. Like has he's, ob- there's obviously like a gel. And like when he's. When Dwayne's like dreaming, you know, he's going into this room yes. and having sex with his. What he thinks is his girlfriend. Uh, but it's really little. Little boy, like little He's side boy, back literally <laughs> raping this woman to death, <laughs> which I'm not like obviously no, no, a fan I'm against, of. I'm against it. Um, also, that was a very long boob scene that they had for her. I, it was like ten minutes long. I watch a lot of these movies with my 13 year old daughter, <laughs> and and yeah, you know, she looks away when there's nudity. But I have this weird thing where I like describe what's happening. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, yeah! Look away, look away. We have a we have a nipple advisory. Like, look away. I'll tell you when it's okay. And this time, I was just going. Her nipples are so huge. And she's like, don't tell me. I can picture it. Like, yeah, they're they're huge. Um, Jimmy made a uh, a joke. He said they're milking it. Like the oh, scene right. is a pun. Oh. So of, so that that scene actually upset everybody but the director. And apparently, uh, Sharon, um, because during the scene, the crew got so pissed 
about how uh, Lotter was presenting it that he had to ask them to leave because they were upset that he just kept adding more and more blood. So if you watch that scene, kind of knowing that, it is a ridiculous amount of blood. And also, as far as I know, Belial doesn't have a penis. So what the hell was going on? I don't know. Well, here here's the thing. He does, because in uh, Basket Case 2... Oh. In Basket Case 2, there is an explicit. He meets, um, Belial actually uh, meets the love of his life, who is a um, a woman who looks, Eve is her name, and she looks just like him. She's in the same, she's exactly the same as him. And there's an extended and explicit sex scene between the two of them. Uh, it's basically pornographic. So mm-hmm. he does have re- reproductive organs, and they actually, um, they go on to have um, children. Um <laughs> It's there, there, believe me. There's a lot more to it than just this one movie. This is definitely the best one. But he does have an organ, and it does work. And he uses it to murder people. That blows my mind that, that this movie spawned two sequels because we keep talking about the budget, and this movie was made for thirty five thousand dollars. And Hannon Lauder eventually confirmed that at in the opening one of the opening scenes where Dwayne is checking into the hotel Broslin. Uh, he pulls out that giant wad of cash and everyone in the lobby is like, holy cow, he's got all this money. Uh, that wad of cash was actually represented what was left of the entire film's budget. I can tell you why, because we were talking about um, how this this was just a, a midnight movie, um, small release, you know, um, but it found an audience with VHS rentals. So um, Basket Case 1982, the remake isn't until 1990, and or not the remake, but the sequel. And then uh, part three is 1991. So what happened is in that interim period of eight years, which is a long time, um, that's when it found its sort of cult audience and appreciation with the VHS format. And they decided that, wow, we should, you know, everybody loves this Basket Case. Uh, we should make a sequel. And it's funny because the sequel picks up right where the first one left off, except everyone is eight years old. Older, and they're very, they're very obviously eight years older. So it's supposed to be like a month later, but Dwayne is clearly like you know thirty five. Um, I love, the, I love the setting. I love the New York City seventies uh, and eighties, like when the when before New York got cleaned up. Like I love every movie set in New York in the seventies and eighties, uh, gangster movies, horror movies, whatever. You turn me on, you make me wild, you drive me insane. All right, the next movie we watched was The Toxic Avenger, uh, which is a horror movie that was possibly made on pure cocaine. <laughs> I could see cocaine in the nostrils, in the eyeballs of every actor in this movie. I loved The Toxic Avenger. This, I, I hadn't when I when I had kind of brought it up as one of the so bad it's good. I knew that Troma Films was um, they they're they're not serious about it like the other movies. Maybe you know Basket Case. You get the you get a little tongue in cheek feeling that they're in on the joke. Piranha, not so much. This one, it's like they're like, all right, we can make bad movies. Let's go. Let's start a whole production company based around making bad movies. But I thought a- it was I, th- I thought it was trauma. No, it's trauma. Trauma. It's not, a, it's not a respelling of trauma. I always thought it was trauma films. Everything no, trauma. that I, I ever heard was trauma. No, it could be wrong. Um, Kevin, maybe you can give us a little rundown. I mean, people might not know what a trauma films is. We do, but... Yeah, I mean, I mean, Dave just hit it on the head. Trauma Films is a studio where I think their mission is to make the most over-the-top... Uh, anything goes, nothing is off the table, so bad it's good. They epitomize it. I'm glad that you thought of this, Dave, because it would have been, um, you know, suicide to do a so bad it's good episode and not include a trauma film. But I mean, you know, I always, I always go back to like Redneck Zombies, um, but their, their catalog is vast. Obviously, you can find it pretty easily. I don't know how easy you can find all the films for streaming. Um, but Toxic Avenger um, was 1986. I think it 
was made in 84. Um, Lloyd Kaufman did this movie. He directed it along with Michael Hertz, which I thought it was interesting that a movie like this would have two directors um, when you're doing something so simple. Um, but I, one thing that, that when I watched it, I, I hadn't seen it in years. I'd obviously seen it you know, many years ago is Lloyd Kaufman was uh, a pre-production supervisor on Rocky. And <laughs> wow. Yeah. And when I watched, knowing that when I rewatched the talk, because I like to try to do some of my research before I watch the movie so I can see some of this stuff in context. And I found like a lot of the similarities in Rocky and the Toxic Avenger to be unbelievable. Um, you know, when you really think about it. Um, and you're right, Dave. I mean, when you have characters like Bozo and Slug, um, and Slug is always like, she, she's stressing me, or Bozo is always like, she's stressing me, Slug. Ah! I mean, <laughs> it's that's cocaine. That's nothing. But you, nobody can act that badly unless they've done a shit ton of cocaine. What's the 19, it's 1984 or 1986 or whatever in New Jersey. Yeah, like that's a that's a toxic combination right there. Kat, you had never. I saw this movie not long after it was released, and it, it appealed to me because I think I'm actually not sure if it was in the horror or action section. I feel like it was kind of um, riding the line in exploiting both the road warrior, Mad Max action kind of thing, post-apocalyptic. Um, and horror at the same time, and superhero was it was kind of a cross genre blend. But Kat, you hadn't seen this before. You immediately upon viewing uh, texted us that you'd never seen anything so bad in your life. Take us through it. I think. Well, that, well I, think, I was talking about the grease no, Okay, <laughs> well, you, you said that about all of these. Well, yeah. <laughs> let's be honest. Um, I yeah. So watching it in present day for the first time, I was absolutely on board. And I was like absolutely pro Melvin, like, you know, fucking shit up. He's like all, he's a beefcake now, you know, taking care of business, fighting crime, getting rid of the bad guys. I think the moment that it lost me is when the group of men uh, hold up the like fast food place. And the one guy says, I'm about to cornhole this blind bitch or something like that. And I was like, oh, I think I'm out now. I think I'm, t I'm, I'm seeing it through a different uh, lens at this moment. That's the dialogue that makes it magic. It's well, so offensive. <laughs> well, that's, Everything is that, so offensive. That was one of the first things that I noticed now watching it again is the complete lack of ambiguity. Mm -hmm. The bad guys are as bad as you mm -hmm. could. There's no ambiguity whatsoever. First of all, the, the bad guys are named Bozo and Slug. Sure. Um, and one of the things they like to do is go out and hit and run, run over people yeah. in their car. <laughs> yeah. And they have a point system, and they run over children. They run yeah. over. So there's never any question that mm -hmm. these are the worst possible people on earth. Yeah, it was definitely an equal opportunity offensive situation where they just fucking offend everybody well like it's all walks of life it's crazy that so you mentioned bozo and slug but they have their girlfriends wanda and julie who assign points to who they kill they throw out every racist comment you possibly could and then they talk about how it turns them on when they kill people and, and it's done so over the top that I mean, yeah, they're I think, like masturbating in the sauna. Yeah, I, I got a very like Red Dragon vibe with Sarah, who ends up being the Toxic Avenger, uh, Melvin's uh, girlfriend. Um, I don't know if you guys remember in Red Dragon where uh, his girlfriend was blind. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it's you know one of the things one of the things with the movie is. Um, there's a lot of inconsistencies, I thought, because this movie sort of, I, I don't know if it was the first, but it kind of launched like a, a really over-the-top superhero. So you think about like Deadpool now, where people love going to these rated R kind of superhero movies and watching Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool just maim people. Um, I think The Toxic Avenger was one of the first ones. Um, but it's also super inconsistent because they're trying to make him like this this hero um, who brutally murders a ton of people. Um, but there's things like 
like, how does he even know about the, the first kid that they hit on the bike? And, you know, he's being hailed in the movie as a hero. But when he kills Wanda, um, nobody knew that, that Wanda was a bad person yet. Yeah, that's the dry cleaning lady. At, at first, it seems I thought the same thing. I was like, ah, I don't know if the dry cleaning lady really needs to uh, to get killed. But I thought I had the same thought about the superhero thing, because once he once the Toxic Avenger becomes kind of a celebrity and people are wearing T-shirts, I love the hero monster and stuff like that. He gets very dark night with it, and he starts questioning whether he's crossed the line and, you know, if he's a good guy or a bad guy. He doesn't know anymore. He wants to stop making these decisions and not being a vigilante. Did anyone else Google uh, if they could get their own I Love the Hero Monster shirt? No. No. Oh, I no. Oh. Can we? Yeah. We can? We can For yeah. what price? For the low, low price it's of? It's like eleven ninety nine Great. or something online. I want um, that. This movie reminded me, I don't know which one came first, but it remind, reminded me a lot of Swamp Thing. Oh, yeah. Yes. Where it's like the ugly guy and yes. the girl, and they're trying to stop the... It reminded me a lot of, I, I thought this was like the revenge of the nerds thing almost, because, you know, Melvin is like the ultimate nerd, and mm-hmm. you have the bullies. It was kind of like revenge of the nerds meets Mad Max meets Swamp Thing. This movie was done on a $500,000 budget, which if you remember Piranha, that was done on a $700,000 budget. Um, I would say that that uh, Piranha wins in production quality. Um, it only took in about $800,000 at the box office. But again, Troma is, is like Basket Case. They're relying on VHS, DVD, and now streaming sales. They just have a cult following. Um, and one I don't know. I think Toxic Avenger slays Piranha on production quality. Really? Yeah, the part where they run over the little kid and then they back over his head. Oh. The the head uh, destruction part is like that. That's a pretty good special effects. It looks pretty real. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I think I read it was a melon injected with corn syrup and red food dye. <laughs> Classic. Nice. Yeah, I think that was a pretty common. Because even in Basket Case that we talked about, um, you guys were talking about the gore. Uh, what they would do is they'd go buy pizza and they'd mash it up and cover it in, in uh, red corn syrup. And that was most of the gore that you saw. So I think that was a pretty common thing in the uh, early 80s. Well, I appreciated um, on the gore aspect, this movie as well as uh, Basket Case, they both have the uh, 80s thing where somebody has to get their entrails torn out from their stomach. The end or toward the end of Toxic Avenger, he does pull someone's guts out physically with his hands. Same thing happens in Basket Case. And that's sort of like a defining, you know, is it a horror movie? I don't know if it's a horror movie. Oh, yep, you just pulled someone's entrails out from their abdomen it's 1985. That makes it a horror movie. Trent, I love that you almost always are the one to point out any kind of like disembowelment in a movie. Like you're looking for that. <laughs> it's important. Um, I liked uh, much like Piranha when we were talking about the explosions happening before the impact. Anyone notice that when the Toxic Avenger jumped on top of the car that there were handles on the roof of the car <laughs> that he was holding onto? <laughs> <laughs> I did um, not. Yeah, so it's like, you know, I, I just appreciate that because not only are these guys in New Jersey in the 80s high on cocaine, but they're convincing their friend to get in a costume and jump on the top of a moving car <laughs> and hold on to these handles and it will be fine. You know, that's the stuff I like about these these old independent movies is, you know, they have to go for it. Like, they're doing their own stunts. You know, there's... There's no faking anything. They have to do it. If they want to do a car chase, they have to do the car chase. They don't have stunt doubles. They don't have any of this stuff. Should we do, should someone do kind of like a, a an overview of the movie? I don't think we've kind of set the scene or is that not necessary with Toxic Avenger? About a, It's about a Toxic Avenger. <laughs> Melvin's a nerd that works at the gym. He mops up at the gym and um, he gets thrown into a vat of toxic waste. It's your your basic superhero premise. You know, growing up in the 80s, for me, it was hard to not jump into toxic waste because everyone that jumped into toxic waste in the 80s 
came out way better than they went in. <laughs> so it's like, out on man, top. I know. Yeah. Like these kids are bullying me. I'm the I'm the underdog. No one likes me. I'm just gonna jump in this toxic waste and show everybody. I did like that he jumped in in that weird tutu outfit. <laughs> yes. I don't know who planned that weird prank on him. But that was like a very weird idea to prank Melvin. Like, oh, put on this weird tutu, and then we'll bang in the locker room. They're emasculating him. Sure. It, it's cocaine. It must be cocaine. It's cocaine. It's 100%. cocaine emasculation. But, but I like how he kept the tutu when he was the toxic Avenger, but it was like all like grungy looking and tough. We talked about how um, cops are shown as so inept and stupid in, in these movies. This one really takes that further than any because the chief of police um, speaks in a German accent and he calls oh. the mayor der Führer and he yeah. even at some point he does the Heil Hitler yeah. thing he does, so it multiple times. Yeah, he does it multiple so times he's supposed to be just like a, a, a backwater um, podunk you know chief of police uh, bumbling incompetent cop but he's literally make him a German Nazi yeah. which yeah. really shows you what they were thinking about cops at the time yeah yeah. The, but literally my only note on that was like super Nazi vibe <laughs> so if you want to watch a movie that's like completely over the top breaks every single taboo thing you're not supposed to talk about or not supposed to show on film you should see The Toxic Avenger Last movie we watched was The Greasy Strangler. I had stumbled upon this movie just watching absurdist cinema. I I I watched the movie The Lobster that uh, Trent told me about, and it was made by the dude that made Dog Tooth. And they're like really a, it's absurdist. It's that's the genre. And I started going down this avenue, checking out different movies, and I came upon The Greasy Strangler streaming free on Prime. And it blew me away um, in, in how bad it was and how uh, it just reveled in horribleness. It's really gross. There's lots of full frontal prosthetic nudity, lots of grease. Um, Kat, you love this movie. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about why you loved it. I loved it so much that I hated it and did not want to finish this fucking movie. I, you know, and I know this is the, <laughs> I know this is the so bad it's good, but if I, if I could have been able to stop watching this movie, I absolutely would have. Because it was just like so extra. It was like so grotesque in like the weird, like grease, like the food thing. And all the dicks. There's like two separate kinds of dicks in this movie. Both were terrifying for me, personally. Um, the pantsuit. I'd like to talk about the pantsuit for a little while. He like goes to that club. And there's a... Let me paint a picture for you. This old man has this beautiful pantsuit. I want to say it's like a purple shimmery situation. And it goes down, obviously, like to the feet. Cause it's a pantsuit. But then... The, the the genital area is just clear. It's like a clear genital area, so you can see what you're getting into with what's getting into you. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, wait, is that his? Oh, yeah, that's his penis, just there for the world to see as he's thrusting in this weird nightclub with his son's girlfriend and some weird guy in the back, just also thrusting. When I, just, I think of so bad, it's good. I just think uh, of a really old man's dick. <laughs> <laughs> a prosthetic, a giant prosthetic dick. It looked so realistic, though. It was. It looked like it was a real penis, one that I don't want to encounter in real life. And it was just. A, it was a lot for me to handle. Throughout this entire podcast, I have never been more excited than to hear Kat talk about the Greasy Strangler. This is the top of the mountain for me so far. I want to keep going. I want you to keep going, Kat. 
when I rewatched this movie, I was like, this is why you're here. This is why we need you. <laughs> um, but a quick, quick synopsis. It's a father and dad. They inexplicably have a... Father, a wait, hold, hold on. Father and dad? Yeah, like, fa- father, father and son. And dad. I call bullshit artists. <laughs> bullshit artists. You're a father bullshit artist. They somehow have a, a, a disco tour where they take uh, people on this completely fake tour of their city and talk about famous disco artists and where things happen. Uh, one of them happens to be a serial killer, which he literally says in the first minute of the movie. Um, and then there's a love interest brought in and father and son now fight over the love interest. Um, okay, but the the main thing, Kevin, is that it he covers the greasy strangler is a strangler who is obsessed with grease and he covers himself from head to toe in lard and grease. <laughs> that's not his only, disguise. That's his disguise when he strangles people. He's covered in grease. And not only that, all, everything that he eats has to be smothered beyond all recognition in grease, cooking fat, oil. It is disgusting. Um, don't eat. Don't you can't eat before the movie. You can't eat during the movie. Uh, you certainly can't eat after the movie. I can eat during any movie. <laughs> Yeah, Dave, I, I do remember getting, um, uh, I think, texting with uh, with John once, and I was like, what are you doing? He's like, well, we're in the green room before a gig, and, and Dave's just watching Human Centipede 3 while eating spaghetti and meatballs. No, it's a Human Centipede 2. Oh, 2. Chop suey. Which is even, yeah, okay, so, even more gross. And he was laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I really... Um, you know, the first time I saw this movie, I was like, why is Dave making me watch this? <laughs> He'd been talking about it for weeks. You know, it was like his birthday. So it was kind of like, you know, it was kind of like he had to have the, the clown balloon at the party or something. So we had we had to watch <laughs> The Greasy Strangler. And I'm like, what in the fuck? Uh, but the second time now, watching, knowing what I was getting into, I actually appreciated it. I appreciated a lot of the humor a lot more. It is very, very absurdist. Um, it, I don't think it was totally unlike something like um, The Dead Don't Die, where there's like a lot of little, they kind of establish their own in-jokes throughout the movie. Like, you're a bullshit artist. Bullshit. Bullshit artist. 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 You sir are a horseshit artist. I call bullshit on that. And there's things that like necessarily on paper wouldn't necessarily uh, I, I kind of liked it, you know, um, the, the greasy strangler after he's done with his crimes, he he goes to the car wash and physically walks through the car wash to get all the grease off him. Car wash, which is owned by a blind guy, and the blind guy thinks he's just bringing his car through. So he just gives him the money and he's totally naked and his giant prosthetic dick is hanging out. You know, I feel like, though, that uh, these so bad, it's good horror movies like paved the way for like like i think you should leave now on netflix mm-hmm. uh uh tim and eric awesome show great job it's definitely a very specific type of comedy and that's just not that's just not the type of comedy that i'm personally into so maybe that's why i just hate this fucking movie i i love that ronnie uh the father uh the greasy strangler himself it, it, you can't it, any food that anyone makes for him isn't greasy enough and so throughout the whole movie no matter what he's eating and who's prepared it it's he's saying it needs more grease and my my favorite line i guess this would be the you're going to need a bigger boat they're eating the guests sir uh of of greasy strangler would be i need this to lubricate the world <laughs> I I did have a favorite quote of this movie um, about the nightclub that he's trying to bring his son's girlfriend to. He goes, it's not a drink. It's liquid sex. (laughs) It was so awful. I couldn't believe that he was so... He stole his son's girlfriend. Yeah, I think... That was savage. That was just... It's very... 
to me. You know, like any kind of incest situation is very like. Well, they weren't related. They weren't related. The father and the girlfriend were not. Okay, but there's obviously some kind of. There was no three way. I know there's no three way, but like a person taking their loved ones you know sexual partner to have sex with in the same house disgusting slash next it's just very also wanted to talk a little bit about the score of this movie because it's amazing and very interesting um so i looked it up and it was done by andrew hung who is part of an electronic act out of the uk called fuck buttons did hung also do the prosthetics Um, also, real quick, I just want to run down uh, if people want to watch any of these movies. Basket Case is uh, rental only. You can rent it on a number of platforms. I rented it on YouTube. It's like two ninety nine, maybe. Um, Toxic Avenger is free on Amazon Prime. Well, not free, but if you have Amazon Prime, you can stream Toxic Avenger there. Piranha is a rental, multiple platforms. Again, I used YouTube. Um, the Greasy Strangler is on Amazon Prime. Now, to speak all evil news, just when you thought the news couldn't get worse, we're here to make sure it does. So, in 2019, Legendary Entertainment, which I think is the company behind Trauma, they say that a reboot is in the works of The Toxic Avenger. How original. Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hertz, the two original directors, uh, would be serving as producers. But this is what I found interesting. Macon Blair would be writing and directing it. He did Blue Ruin, Green Room as producer, and he directed I Don't Feel Home in This World Anymore. Um, So, yeah, he would be writing and directing that. So it's interesting as we look at some of these so bad, so good horror movies and we talked about, you know, how Basket Case might be cool if somebody legit got a hold of it. But can you imagine, uh, for those of you who have seen Blue Ruin and Green Room, Trent, Dave, I know you guys have. Cat, I'm not sure. Can you imagine somebody with that kind of vision doing a version of the Toxic Avenger? I I can only imagine that. um, I think there's room to grow. I mean, I like Toxic Avenger, but uh, that's interesting to me. Giving the original directors uh, a shot at this, I mean, those guys must be 60 or 70 now. And obviously, they did lots of cocaine in the 80s. These guys must be fucked up. To give them power over this movie is is pretty huge. Well, but they would just be producing. You'd have Macon Blair, Blue Ruin, Green Room, writing and directing. So oh, I, right. I, I think... Yeah, producing is just like you, you gave them some money and hung around and like came, came by once a week and said something. Yeah, so they're on the side being like, put a Nazi in. Nazis are funny. <laughs> oh, my God. No, there was another Netflix original that that dude did uh, besides uh, Blue Ruin and whatever. Green Room. Green Room. Oh, it's Hold the Dark. Hold the Dark was very good, too. Was that the, is that the wolf one? Yep. Yeah, that was great, too. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know how much the world needs a Toxic Avenger remake. I think it firmly has its place in in horror lore um but i i i don't understand how these two directors and that studio would match up with macon blair um but i'd sure as hell like to see it well funny thing about the toxic avenger is like it had a huge cult following it had a children's saturday morning cartoon what They had a cereal, and there was one part of it that, like, it actually got really commercialized at one point, and they were kind of downplaying that it was ever so offensive. (laughs) Yeah, I forgot about the cartoon. Oh, my. Everything had a cartoon. Oh, my fucking God. Action figures, I'm pretty sure, at one point. Yeah, Yeah, gotta fucking love the 80s. I think we should uh, podcast fund uh, a bunch of, like, I Heart the uh, Monster. What is it called? I Heart the... I love the hero, hero monster. monster. I, 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 yeah, the hero I, monster. I heart the hero monster. I think we should get a, a, a round of those. Yeah, shirts. I'll turn it into a crop top. I'm ready. We need a round of those, and it's like the uniform. You're required to wear it every episode. 
Join us for future episodes that touch on feminism, classism, body shaming, bullying, politics, romance, abusive relationships, family, drug abuse, and the list just keeps on going. Yeah, shit's fucked up. It's a fucked up world. It was good to talk to you guys. Thanks for making this work. You too, Kev. Good luck, Kev. Bye. Appreciate you. Bye, guys. I'll miss you. I love you. Love you guys. Yo, did you guys know that his dick in the movie was uh, a broken off pool cue? What? Yeah, I mean, obviously. Did they it was put co- like salami around it? Like silly yeah, putty? Yeah, it was like what obviously they do covered with some stuff, but it's like a broken pool cue. And <laughs> do you guys remember? That's the- why, you know what? I was, because it, it has a weight to it, the way it swings. You know? That's how, that's how they did that. Huh, interesting. Good to know.